This morning, uh, says the final installment in our series, I Believe in God, But, just to explain, basic thinking behind all of this has been there tends to be a gap in all of our lives between what we say we believe and our day-to-day practice. And so what I've been trying to do over the last couple of months is close that gap a bit so that more and more we live lives consistent with our faith. Now, the way we're going to close out this series is by talking about worry, because It's my guess there are a whole bunch of people in the room right now who are worried. Uh, We believe in God, but we still worry a lot. I mean, worry is universal. Everyone worries at some point in their life, and it's not a new problem. In fact, as we're going to see this morning, worry goes all the way back to the time of Jesus. Jesus, on a particular occasion, had a little bit of spare time to have a chat with some of his friends. What did he talk about? worry. So the encouraging thing is is not just you and it's not just a problem here in the UK in the 21st century. People have been worrying for at least 2,000 years. 2,000 years ago Jesus looked at the people around him and he thought to himself, they look pretty anxious to me. That they desperately need some help to get free from their worry. This looks like a great sermon topic. Now Before we turn our attention to Jesus' teaching on this subject, I want to just bring a little bit of definition to what we're going to be talking about. Worry, in my understanding, is basically a concern about tomorrow. It's an anxiety about what lies round the corner, what's about to happen. In fact, if you want to take it just a, a step further, worry is a preoccupation with wanting to control tomorrow, wanting to bring a little more certainty to the future. Now, as we're going to see, the reality is we've never actually been able to control the future. Really, at no point in our life, in any category of our life, have we been able to be 100% certain of how things are going to work out. But at certain times and in certain areas of our lives, we tend to focus in on all of the uncertainty, and that's the moment when we begin to worry. Now, in preparation for this talk, I'll be very conscientious. I've done a fair bit of background reading. I'll tell you, there is loads of stuff out there, all aimed at helping you to overcome your worry, but in effect, all it does is make you more worried. But amidst all of this stuff, I did come across this very helpful comment from a secular writer. He said, worrying is like prayer in reverse. Worrying is like prayer in reverse. I I think that's a really insightful way of describing it. You see, when we pray, the issue tends to become smaller. Because what tends to happen when we look at God is we begin to see everything else in its proper perspective. But when we worry, it's almost like we make the issue bigger. We, We focus in on that one specific area, whether we'll pass our exams, whether our company will survive the recession, whether our job's safe whether she'll ever call me back again, whether we'll ever get married, whether we'll ever have children, whether our children will ever sleep through the night, whether our children's behavior will ever improve, whether we'll ever be able to move house, whether we'll be able to afford Christmas this year, whatever it is, we become hyper-focused in on that one area and it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger until that is all we can think about. 
It's like we become totally distracted by something we can't really do anything about. So Jesus, knowing all of this 2,000 years ago, it's almost as though he's speaking directly to us today. He, he, he addresses this issue of worry. And the thing that Jesus does, pretty much unlike anything else I've read on the subject, Jesus gives us a solution. All the other things basically help you medicate your worry or cope with it or distract you from it for a moment. But Jesus comes along and he says, actually, there is a solution to all of this. Listen, this really does set Jesus apart from everything and everyone else. But by all means, read as much as you can on the subject. Go to your doctor if you need to, but please don't neglect the teaching of Jesus. It's just brilliant perhaps not surprisingly. If you want to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Now, if you want to know where we're going in all of this, in a nutshell, Jesus' message is simply this. The things that you are most devoted to are the things that you worry about the most. The things you are most devoted to tend to be the things you worry about the most. In other words, you are going to worry most about the things that you care most about. If you want to know what drives your worry, is very often the point of your greatest devotion. The things you worry about reflect your core devotions, the things that matter most to you. I just want you to consider this question for a moment. What if you shifted your core devotion? What if you changed or transferred the thing that you were most devoted to from what it is right now to something else, what would happen to your worry? That's the end destination we're heading towards. Let's pick it up in verse 24. Here's what Jesus starts off by saying. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or, here's our word, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the word translated money here literally means mammon, or stuff. He's saying you can't serve God and your stuff. Ultimately, it is one or the other. You can't be fully devoted to God, and at the same time, fully devoted to your stuff. In the end, they turn out to be enemies of each other. So sooner or later, you've got to decide which one you are going to be most devoted to. It's like you can't have it both ways. Now, I don't know. Perhaps you're sitting there thinking, well, in reality, I do love God, and I really do love my stuff as well. But Jesus is saying, when push comes to shove, you are going to be forced to make decisions between the two. Are you going to opt for your God values, or are you going to opt for your stuff values? You you can like both, You, you can even say you love both, but eventually there will come a time when you have to decide between them. You'll hit crisis point, you'll have to fall one side of the line or the other. Which one am I most devoted to? Well, it depends. Kind of depends how I'm feeling. It it depends which day of the week it is. Can can I just park this one and think about it some other time? No. 
Jesus here doesn't give us that option. See, he takes us into this discussion that underscores what he's getting at in this first verse. Just listen to where he goes. Verse 25, therefore, just so you know, whenever you see this word therefore in the Bible, it's connecting two thoughts. It's not introducing something brand new. So Jesus is about to say something that connects with what he's just said. He's saying there's this tension, there's this war between who or what you're devoted to in your life. There's this battle going on there, therefore, I tell you, it's a command, do not worry about your life. That's pretty general, isn't it? I mean, what does Jesus actually mean here? Let me try and be a little more specific. I think he's saying, don't worry about what you worry about. And just in case we we, we didn't get the point first time around, Jesus then goes on to address some of the things that people in his day and age tended to worry about. He says, don't worry about what you will eat or drink, your body or what you will wear. He's saying, I know what you think about every single day. You get up and you're thinking, what are we going to eat? Because back then it was a kind of hand-to-mouth environment. From day to day, they didn't know what they were going to eat. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? Because our clothes are wearing out and the kids are growing out of their clothes and clothes are very, very expensive. So how are we ever going to be able to afford them? What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? Jesus here acknowledges these very real concerns and then he cuts through them all. He says, look, I don't want you worrying about all of that. I guess if he was here today addressing us, he might put it a bit like this. He'd say, don't worry about your retirement. Don't worry about your kids' schooling. Don't worry about your job. Don't worry about whether you're going to be single for the rest of your life. Don't worry about how you're going to survive the in-laws this Christmas. Don't worry about your... Raw nerve there. Uh, Don't worry about your health. Don't worry about your future. Don't worry about your life. You're thinking for Jesus. Uh, He's saying it's not important that we have food to eat, clothes to wear. I think he'd say, I'm not saying it's not important. In no way am I dismissing your job or your family, or your health. I'm not dismissing any of those things, quite the opposite. They are important, but there will always be uncertainty surrounding those things. Some of the time, it is not all going to work out fine, but you still don't have to worry about it. Jesus is saying there is a way to face the uncertainty of tomorrow without worrying about it today. So Jesus says, when it comes to your life, please stop worrying. He goes on, end of verse 25, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Here's what he's doing. He's trying to pull us out 
of our hyper-focus on how am I going to afford Christmas this year? How am I going to feed the family? What am I going to do with all of my comet shares? How am I going to get the kids into the right school? Will my health ever improve? We, we focus in so much on those things and get so worried and so anxious and so stressed. And Jesus comes along and he says, for just a moment, I want to pull you away a little bit. I want to pull you right back and I want to ask you some questions. First up, is life not more important than retirement? I mean, would you define life as life equals retirement? No. Okay, how about this one? Isn't life about more than how much you spend at Christmas this year? Well, it is important, but I guess there probably will be other Christmases. Is life not more than wearing the latest clothes? Tough call. But I suppose I do have enough clothes to wear already. How about this one? Is life not more than your job? Not saying it's not important, but is that really all there is to life? Well, maybe it feels like it sometimes, but ultimately it probably isn't. What about health? Is that all there is to life? Or is life bigger than just your health? Well, yeah, there are all these other things as well. Is life more than just getting married? Is that all there is to aim for in life? If you get married, is that it? Nothing else to live for? Well, getting married is a component. It's not everything. So I suppose it it doesn't warrant giving it all my time and all of my attention. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm trying to help you here. I'm wanting to help you deal with your worry and your anxiety. I'm trying to get you to just step back from all of this for a moment. Why don't you do that right now? Just pull back from the things that are concerning you. But then, having got us to this point, how off-beam is this? Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. What? I mean, I haven't got time for bird watching. I need a job. I have no transport. I, I don't feel very well. My family's in enough trouble as it is. What do you mean, look at the birds of the air? I think Jesus would say, are you quite finished? I'm trying to help you here. Now, I'm not discounting the value of any of that other stuff. It's just you are so focused on all of that other stuff, it's become your chief focus, and your emotion follows your devotion. And before you know it, you're caught in this downward spiral, and it's a mess, and it's going out of control. I'm wanting to help you out here. From where I'm sitting, you desperately need some advice. Won't you please hear me out? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. It's important you don't misunderstand Jesus here. If you misread this verse, you could very easily think that Jesus is either being incredibly insensitive to your very real needs, or alternatively, that perhaps he's poking fun at all of your hard work. You need to hear this. I don't think Jesus is saying, look at the birds of the air, that they don't even really try. They just go with the flow. So so just drop everything. 
relax, forget all your responsibilities, do nothing, let go, let God, everything will just work out well in the end. He's not saying that. Let's read the rest of the verse. Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than them? I think that's the point. Aren't you much more valuable to God than a bird? I put it another way. Do you think God cares more for you than he does for birds? Do you think he's more concerned about you? Now, if you're not so sure on this one, let me try and help you out. Remember, you are made in the image of God. But when God had finished making all of the animals, he created human beings and he stepped back and he said, this is very different. I'm making them in my image. They bear my thumbprint. When I see them, I think about me. In fact, I think I'm going to send a saviour into the world. It won't be in the form of a bird or a goat or a lion or an elephant. I'm going to send my son into the world in the form of a human being. So before you sink back into all the things that are worrying you at the moment, won't you answer this question? Do you think that God cares more about you than he does about a bird? Now I know this is deep. You might be feeling you don't have a firm enough grasp of the Bible, you don't understand the uh, wider issues of theology enough to really better answer this one. But I'm going to push you for an answer. I want a show of hands on this. If you think that God cares more about you than he does about birds, just put your hand up right now. Okay, that is most people in the room. Uh, okay, th- those who are with me on this, I want you to repeat after me. We don't do this often in this church. For novelty factor alone, repeat after me. I believe God loves me more than the birds. Excellent. Now I want you to listen, because this is actually very, very significant. Jesus is saying, this might seem a little bit elementary, but I'm telling you here why you can face uncertainty head-on and not worry. I'm telling you why you can not know where you're going to find work and not worry. I'm telling you why you can not know whether your health will ever improve and not worry. I'm telling you why you can face the uncertainty of whether or not you'll ever get married or have kids or move house without worrying. I'm not trying to get you to go into denial here. I understand very much, even better than you do, the uncertainties connected with tomorrow. But I'm teaching you how to face uncertainty full on and not worry. Now, please don't misunderstand. Jesus is not encouraging irresponsibility. He's not encouraging just a a fatalistic view that it will all just work out in the end. He's encouraging you to trust 
his heavenly father. He's not saying stop sowing and stop reaping and stop storing away in barns. You need to keep filling out the application forms. You need to keep studying. You need to keep asking people out. You need to keep up with the diet. You need to do your best. You need to set goals. You need to do all of that stuff. But once you have done all you can do in the here and now, I want you to remember that God loves you more than the birds. So ultimately, there's no need to worry. Jesus goes on, verse 27. It's another question. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? You you think this birds of the air stuff is way too simplistic? Well, Well, go ahead. Worry about all of those other things. What if, what if, what if? What if she does, he doesn't, they don't, I can't, this happens. Worry, worry, worry. And then why don't you stop? Ask yourself this question. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Does your worrying change anything in a positive way? Does it bring you any more certainty? Does it make you feel any better? Does it make things work out any differently? Does worrying today change in any positive way what happens tomorrow? No. And so Jesus says, I've got an idea for you. If you're worrying doesn't get you anywhere good. How about doing it my way? Look at the birds of the air and realize God loves me more than them. And if God loves me that much, and if I've done all I can do, I've sown and reaped and stored, if I've done everything I can, can God be trusted with the things that I have no control over? If so, I'm not going to worry. And I'm not going to worry about tomorrow because I'm trusting the only one who can do something about tomorrow. Jesus continues, verse 28. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. It's like he's saying, you do far more than them. You're far more resourceful. The flowers do nothing. Verse 29, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? If God takes care of flowers, and if God takes care of birds, neither of them really do a whole lot, Why don't you believe that perhaps in the situation that you're facing that really you have no control over, God can and will take care of you? And then Jesus goes right to the heart of the worry issue. This is where I think he he twists the knife a bit. Let's see what he says right at the end of verse 30. You of little faith this is absolutely huge. If you don't hear anything else this morning, you've got to hear this. There is a relationship 
between the size of your face and the size of your worry. Jesus is saying, the reason your worry is so big is your faith is so small. Listen, for all those here today who are worried about something, it's just weighing you down. It's like all you can think about, all you can see, here's the solution. You need to have more faith in God. Allow Him to become bigger in your mind and in your thinking. If you want your worry to shrink, enlarge your view of God. He continues, verse 31, so don't worry, saying, what should we eat, or what should we drink, or what shall we wear? He's saying, don't waste your time stressing about things over which you have no control. Listen carefully, not because they're not important, they're very important, not because you should be careless and apathetic and lazy and do nothing. That is not his point at all. He says, don't worry about those things. After you have done all you can do, leave the future in God's hands. And then he says, verse 32, for the pagans, that's people who don't even believe there is a God, people who don't know Him, people who don't trust Him as their personal Saviour, people who really have no first-hand knowledge of His goodness and His grace and His love and His faithfulness. The pagans run after all of these things. He's saying, you guys believe there is a God. You know Him. He has changed your life. Hasn't He dealt with the biggest problem you'll ever have, your sin? the alienation that it's brought between you and God, but by stressing out over all of these little things, you're acting as though there isn't a God. You're living your life practically as an atheist. Look, all of us live alongside people who share all the same life concerns as us. And Jesus is saying here, I think, that as you rub shoulders with them, your response to these common problems should be so incredibly different that the people around us are stopped in their tracks. They're forced to say to you, look, you, you clearly care about these things, so why aren't you so stressed? Why aren't you afraid? How do you sleep at night? Jesus would say to us, I believe, if you just get sucked into worrying like everyone else, there might as well not be a God. Here's your big opportunity. Don't miss it. You're going, well, can I wait for another opportunity to come along? I don't know, something like how to handle wealth or fame or popularity or something like that. Listen, we don't get a choice in this. Jesus is saying your struggles and your circumstances are common to everyone. The difference is not the challenge. The difference is your response to the challenge. Don't worry. Don't chase after. Don't fret over the things that those who don't believe there's a loving Heavenly Father waste their whole lives worrying about. You should be different. You must be different. 
Let's keep going. Because Jesus hasn't yet given us the solution. Second half of verse 32. He says, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, knows that you need these things. Now this is really what separates the pagans from the unpagans. This is it right here. Jesus says, come on. Do you believe that your heavenly Father knows that you need these things? Do you believe it? Well, wouldn't it make a huge difference if you were to live your life day by day with this belief? I'm telling you, it really would. I mean, just imagine for a moment if before you went to sleep tonight, an angel appeared in your bedroom and said to you, God knows. That's all the angel said. God knows. Would that change your life? Would that be like extraordinarily comforting for you? Even if your circumstances don't ever change, wouldn't knowing this change everything? Even if you haven't a clue what's waiting around the corner, even if you have no idea what is going to happen tomorrow, doesn't this knowledge that God personally knows give you strength and encouragement to keep going? I mean, if He knows... I don't need to try and work it all out and worry about all the possible outcomes. Now look, an angelic visitation would be nice. Might be a little scary, but it would be nice. But actually, we don't need one. You see, Jesus is telling us here in no uncertain terms. He knows He knows you need these things, which means you don't need to waste time worrying about them. If you could just come to this conclusion, really believe that God knows what I need. He knows about the loneliness. He knows about the stress. He he knows about what's happened in the past. He knows about my health. He knows everything. If you could just settle this one today, really do believe it would transform your life. So what's stopping you settling this one today? I mean, what more do you need to hear? It's written here in bold type. It is God's Word directly to you. He he hasn't changed and He's not going to. He knows precisely what you need. Won't you believe it? And then Jesus gets to the point that he's been building up to. There is something very practical that we can do apart from merely trying really hard not to worry anymore. Jesus goes back to the idea he introduced right at the beginning of this passage where he said, you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and stuff. He says, the ultimate solution to your worry is redirecting your devotion. 
The solution to worry isn't to try harder to stop worrying. The solution to worry isn't to just pretend the problems have all gone away. The solution is right here in verse 33. But seek first. But, in other words, this is in direct contrast to everything that's gone before. Seek, chase after, keep looking for, keep focused in on first, over and above everything else, as a matter of utmost priority. He's saying, what you've been seeking after up until now has left you in this valley of worry and despair. It's got you where you are today, stressed and anxious and fearful. You've been devoted to the wrong thing. You've chased after the wrong thing. You've kept looking for the wrong thing. You've focused in on the wrong thing. So here's the solution. You need to channel your devotion to something entirely different to what has been before. Instead of being devoted to all those other concerns, you need to devote yourself to something different. And here it is. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Listen, as long as your primary devotion is getting your degree and financial security and a happy marriage and those kids that just sleep through the night every night. As long as those things are your primary devotion, you will keep on worrying. But Jesus invites you into a whole new way of living. It's an invitation to every one of us here in this room today to surrender our whole lives to Him. Not a segment, not an area, not just on Sundays, everything. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, which basically means seeking first God's agenda for the world and putting your agenda second in your school, in your college, in your workplace, in your family, in your finances, in the things you dream and hope for, you seek first His agenda, His will. It means saying, I seek your kingdom first and my singleness second. I I seek your kingdom first and my wealth second. I seek your kingdom first and my popularity second. I seek your kingdom first and how I want my life to turn out second. In other words, I made a transfer of devotion from my kingdom to your kingdom. At the end of the day, I want your will to be done in my life more than I want my own way. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, but what if I offer God everything and He takes it? What if He asks me to do something I don't want to do? What if, what if, what if? Stop. The whole point in this is you really cannot control tomorrow. You might think you can. You might make a jolly good fist at trying to a lot of the time, but ultimately you can't. So here's the choice. Do it your way or do it God's way. Trust yourself or trust him. At the end of the day, it boils down to who do you trust more, you or God? Right now, Jesus is inviting you to be most devoted to following him and seeking his will, to put your trust in him, to allow him to take care of your tomorrow. 
And if you do that, he says, end of verse 33, all of these things, what you eat, what you wear, all those other things you need, all these things will be given to you as well. Why? Because he cares for you more than he does for the birds and the flowers of the field. And you've been invited into a relationship with him where you can call him your heavenly father. And he knows what you need. So of course he's going to take care of you. Therefore, verse 34, as a result of all of this, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Just to make this really practical as we close. Here's what I suggest you do at some point over the next week. Why don't you just make a list of all of the areas of your life? School, college, job, family, social life, shopping, paying the bills, stuff you do in the church, dreams for the future, whatever. It might take you five minutes, especially if you're jotting down all those ideas then. It might take you several hours I want you to be as thorough as you can. It's like, here's my whole life on this piece of paper. Make, make a list. And then I want you to pray. Say, God, I know what happens when I hold this like this. I just worry. So I want to tell you, I'm changing devotion. I'm redirecting my primary devotion away from all of this. It still matters. I still care deeply about all of this stuff, but I want to learn what it means to seek first your kingdom. So I'm letting you have all of this. You're you're way more important to me even than all of this. You, You know what I want. You know you understand my hopes and my dreams. I'm releasing it all to you. Your will be done, devoting my life to you.